They go away, some of them go fishing, because they were fishermen, so that's what they do. So I'm going fishing, who wants to come? They go and do that, all of a sudden Jesus appears on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, cooks them breakfast, he walks around with them, he reminds them of their teaching, and then one day he takes them for a walk. And they're in Jerusalem, uh, and he takes them up, uh, for a walk up, up, up a road that would have been really familiar to them, actually, the, the road that leads from... Jerusalem, the city, up to the Mount of Olives, is probably the road that Jesus rode the donkey into town on just a few weeks ago. Uh, and he walks up there and he blesses them, and all of a sudden he ascends. And then after this, they go back to Jerusalem and wait. It's actually not a lot of detail, is it? Like, it, it seems like this must have been so much more happening. Imagine the questions they would have had. Well, I don't know about them. Imagine the questions I would have had. I'm a really curious person, and would, gosh, I'd want to know a lot about what, what had happened. Like, so while you were dead, Jesus, um, did you see a light? Did you, are you hungry? Yes, you can eat with us, but how hungry are you getting? So you used to walk on water. What can you do now? Uh, I, I'd have been really curious like, about what Jesus was teaching. He says, the scriptures say that all of a sudden, uh, Jesus opened up his teachings to them so that they understood even more. That, to me, that just makes more questions. So little detail, yet for uh, 40 days, we're told that Jesus is proving himself. And then one day, they're out for a walk, which was really common. They went for walks with Jesus all the time. To a really familiar place, the Mount of Olives. Again, they'd have gone up a familiar road where they saw people praising him a few days before. In fact, on the way, they walk right past the Garden of Gethsemane, which would have been on their left as they are about to go up the hill. Probably a sad occasion for some of them to remember how they behaved there. And they walk up there, and all of a sudden, they get a little distracted. Jesus has been revealing to them what's next, what the Father is going to do for them, what the Father has promised. Remember, John the Baptist came and baptized you with water, but the Father will come and he will baptize you with the Spirit, Jesus is saying. And they get distracted. All of a sudden, they're like, but the kingdom. What about the kingdom? When's that going to happen? Like, are you going to rain down hate on, on, on these people who tried to get you? Are you going to be a victorious king finally? Is this going to happen now? And probably on the side, what about us? What are we going to get to do? Do we get to have our own little kingdoms around you? Can I be in charge of Joffa? I want to live down there. Somebody else would have been said, hey, I'm from like Capernaum and I'm a big deal up there. Can I, can I take care of that? You know, there's a good chance that they were thinking bigger picture for themselves. But this isn't the point. Jesus says, don't worry about the timing. You don't need to know. The Father knows, and he's got it in his hand. Promising them, he turns to them and says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have my authority, he says. Uh, You'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, which would have been hard to hear because, remember, the Jewish people didn't really like the Samaritans, and then to the whole wide world. And this is, would have been shocking news to them. For, for the majority of Jews, the whole wide world meant this thing called the diaspora, and that's actually not a cool thing for them. That was about their people being driven out. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to have my authority and to be my representatives to the whole wide world. But again, they're missing it. And then... An amazing thing happens. They're standing there, talking to Jesus, looking at him, 
and they probably don't realize it first, but they're starting to look upward and upward, and then he's gone. Just, just, just give that a moment. I don't know about you, I've never seen a person fly. Did, did you see that? And then suddenly, there's these two white men appear. Some speculate that they might be angels. doesn't really matter. The point is they're suddenly there. And they're like, guys, why, why are you staring up into heaven? I can, I can tell you why. They just saw somebody fly. Like, I've never seen a person fly. But if I see somebody fly, that's why I'm looking up. Like, Wow. I mean, I know he's Jesus and we've seen him walk on water. We've seen him suddenly appear in a room. But I've never seen somebody fly. And these men stand beside them and say, why do you spend this time looking up? In verse 9 it says, uh, he was taken before their eyes and a cloud hid them. Uh, And they were standing there looking and the two men come alongside and say, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that he's been taken from you. And they're essentially trying to refocus them. Remember, they had got distracted from what Jesus was saying they had to do next. They're saying, these, white, these men in white are saying, not these white men, that sounds so Aryan. These men in white are saying, hey guys, guys, I get it, big deal. He, yes, you've seen someone fly, that's worth paying attention to, but he said he's going to come back. Don't stress about when that's going to be. It's going to be obvious. This was obvious. This will be obvious too. In the meantime, get about what he told you to do. Now, this is really shocking, even to the followers of Jesus, right? Like the disciples, they've seen some amazing things. But this is clearly really shocking. They've had a big couple of weeks, right? Remember, they've seen their friend, their mentor, their teacher, their Messiah killed and come back to life. All of a sudden, they've got him back together again and they're thinking about the future. Suddenly he flies and then disappears. It takes a direct reminder from these two men in white to pay attention to what Jesus had told them. In verse 4, remember, he said to them, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my Father has promised, which you heard about from me. And that's going to come to fruition. Jesus' ascension sends them essentially into a period of prayer and processing and waiting. They had a lot to process. It's been such a strange experience for them, and this, I imagine, is still even stranger. They've been asked now to to do nothing, essentially, or to, to wait, but they're waiting without a leader. And in fact, it's actually probably something more familiar to them than they realize. I don't think they realized it yet, but they would. The disciples here, they're reenacting part of the Exodus. This is something that would have been part of their, their consciousness their entire lives. The story of the children of Israel being stuck uh, in bondage in, in Egypt, a bondage that was actually originally a, a way to protect and save them. Uh, then God brings along Moses and leads them out. Watch the Prince of Egypt if you're not familiar with the story. It's a very rough uh, summary of what happens there. And God leads them out of Egypt Uh, and takes them to Mount Sinai. If you go back and read the account in Exodus, you look at what happens after God leads them out of Egypt. 
You see, the Israelites have to wait while Moses disappears. He goes on Mount Sinai, and they're told that you can't even touch Mount Sinai or, or you'll die. Moses goes up there and starts to meet with God. Interestingly, partially on their behalf, but most importantly, to, to receive something from God. But he's gone a long time. Like after weeks, the people who are known for complaining anyway, they turn to Aaron, Moses' brother, who's left in charge, and say, where's Moses? We, we don't know where he is. Like, is he coming back? Is he gone for good? Uh, he's up there and there's a cloud and stuff happening on the mountain. Uh, I think our leader is gone. They get confused and they start to miss what God was trying to do amongst them. Remember, he said he was going to lead them out into a a land so that they could fulfill his promise to Abraham. Uh, So it's at this point that they then obviously get a little confused and they decide, well, we're going to decide what God looks like. Aaron, make us this special thing so that we can worship uh, God in our image, in, in a form that we decide. But then after 40 days, Moses comes back down And he brings the Ten Commandments. And to cut a long story short, because a lot of things happen in there, including some anger and things, um, they eventually celebrate. And this celebration uh, is is a part of the Jewish identity to this very day, actually. Um, But the disciples would have known this celebration. It was referred to as Shavuot. It uh, means the, the, the week of weeks, if you will, and it happens 49 days, uh, seven times seven, uh, or on the 50th day after the celebration of, of the Passover, of leaving Israel. So the disciples would have known that actually pretty soon this festival was coming up. Uh, Shavuot was one of the three big festivals that happened. Pesach, or Passover, was the one that they had just celebrated, and, and we remembered it here this morning. The last Passover that the disciples would have celebrated was with Jesus right before he was taken and brutally murdered and then miraculously brought back. And then there was another celebration, a major pilgrimage festival called Sukkot, which is about the, the, the successful travel through the wilderness. And people would come to Jerusalem and they'd build their own little huts and, and celebrate all that God had done for them in that regard. So there were these three main festivals that were a national celebration and Shavuot was seen as as a big party like a really big deal you bring your first fruits to the temple you celebrate all God has done for you and most importantly you celebrate God giving of the law a really big deal so this would have been front of mind for the for the disciples it was just a few days away and they were thinking about celebrating all God had done at Sinai and as they walk up this hill given everything of the last few weeks I imagine the disciples would have really been looking forward to celebrating it with Jesus. They would have done so before. And after everything that would have happened, they would have been like, it'll be nice just to, just to have this, this celebration with Jesus. And then suddenly he was gone again. Imagine the, the, the turmoil. And then they're told to go back to town and to wait. I mean, at least they had this national party, this Shavuot to celebrate. But gosh, imagine the turmoil. And we actually know the festival of Shavuot. We, we know it by another name. It, because it was 50 days, and those who spoke Greek in the world, which was nearly everybody back then, um, they referred to it by the, the name that means 50 days, and that's Pentecost. 
And Pentecost, as we know it, of course, that's the, the upper room, the, the rushing wind, and everything that is, ex- is extraordinary about that occurrence. This happens when the disciples would have been celebrating Shavuot, celebrating receiving God's revelation. It's in this event that they receive what Jesus had promised them, that they nearly got distracted from. They receive the Spirit of God in them, not just the Son of God with them, which is amazing in itself, but they re- uh, at Shavuot, at Pentecost, they receive the Spirit of God in them. In remembering Mount Sinai, the disciples were remembering when Moses went away and represented them before God. And here they were celebrating when they received the clear expression of God's will, the Ten Commandments, in that celebration. But in Jesus' departure, the disciples had lost an advisor, a friend, that they gained him as a mediator. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. In Romans 8, 34, Paul talks about this. He says, Who is the one who condemns us? No one can condemn us. Because Christ Jesus, who died, but better than that, who was raised again, is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Yes, the disciples lost Jesus, a friend, a mentor, a miracle worker, a saviour. But they lost him so that he could represent them. And that's what he does now. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, representing us before God. They had to let Jesus go. He had more. In the ascension, they lost Jesus. But at Pentecost, they're going to gain another kind of mediator. And he's going to be better than the Ten Commandments were ever meant to be. They were about to receive the Spirit. This is a mediator who will be with them to represent God to them. Jesus went away so that he could represent us to God and the Spirit comes into them to represent God to them. Again, in Romans 8, Paul talks about this in verses 26 and 27. He says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what we should pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for our benefit with an inexpressible desire. So for all of us Christians here today, The Spirit intercedes according to the will of God so that we can know the mind of God. Jesus had to go away to plead our case before God so that the Spirit could come and reveal God's will to us through prayer. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans 8. But let's get back to the story, back to the hillside near Jerusalem with two guys in white distracting the disciples from their cloud watching. The big picture that the disciples needed to be reminded of wasn't when is the kingdom going to begin, because that's what they seemed to be thinking, but God was about to shake up how he works among them. In the middle of it all, in the moment of the ascension, they couldn't see that. And I don't blame them. I really don't blame them. I get it. Like, I, I don't know if you've had a rough couple of weeks ever in your life, but sometimes you, you, can't, you can't get the simple things, yeah? And something amazing or something difficult or something traumatic has to happen to get your attention. They couldn't see the big picture because of everything that was going on around them and their preconceptions of what Jesus was coming to do. And so they had to be reminded, reminded of what Jesus said, go back and wait, go into Jerusalem and wait for what God is going to do next. So in this account, 
Luke is reminding his friend, Theophilus. He's reminding other Christians at the time, and, and he's reminding us that when God is about to shake things up, when things don't make sense, when you're standing there looking up at the clouds, when you're confused about everything, maybe God's trying to get your attention. I think he might actually be doing that here with us at the moment, with KSBC. I think God may be shaking things up. He's definitely been doing some amazing things in the last year or so, some almost traumatic things, you know? There have been things like moving into a new building and going through that whole process, which for some of us has been really challenging. Uh, we used to sit around the corner in the old building and it was really comfy just kind of sitting there and now we're in this lovely space, but that's been a big deal. And then we, we lost one youth pastor and we gained another. Now our senior pastor has, has been led by God to, to do other things. KSBC has been going through a lot of things. And we're going through a difficult process right now. Uh, if you don't think it's difficult, ask the deacons and those on the pastoral search committee and Jeanette and, and Luke. There's a lot of work going on in, in the background just to, to keep the wheels spinning. And we're going through a lot right now. We've had some massive shake-ups over the last year or so. Maybe God is trying to get our attention. I don't know what he's doing in your life right now, but I reckon he's trying to get my attention. Just take a moment and think about that. What is God doing? This Thursday marks the commemoration of Jesus' ascension. The end of his earthly ministry, quite literally. For the followers of Jesus then, the ascension finally got their attention and encouraged them to go away and to wait and to hear specifically from God. For the followers of Jesus now, the ascension can and probably should signal a period of praying and processing and waiting. Now, we already have the Spirit, God's intercessor, to help us know how to pray and to reveal his will to us. So we have the tools we need. We don't need that part of the waiting anymore. In the ascension, God is getting the attention of his people. This Thursday, is God trying to get your attention? Are we listening? Is the church listening? Am I listening? What do you reckon God's trying to say? To us. What's God trying to say to me? What's he trying to say to you? Let's pray. Father, as we've taken just a small amount of time today to look at such a quick account of some remarkable occurrences, um, Father, help us to be reminded of, of your will, what you're trying to do for us. God, we, we thank you for your blessings, for the way you have led us here at Kilsyth South, for the church you've built us to be, this congregation, this body uh, of your people, your hands, your feet, your ministry. God, what are you asking of us? If, if this change, this, this period right now is something dramatic, may we be listening to you, Maybe, may we be willing to hear you, to say yes. May we be prepared to be shaken up, 
to see things differently, to hear you differently. God, we know you won't change. We know that uh, your character remains the the same. But God, if you're trying to get our attention, don't let us be stubborn. Don't let us be slow. Help us to be patient, of course, Lord, to, to listen to your timing. But God, may we be prepared to hear what you have to say. God, may I be prepared to hear what you have to say. May everybody here be prepared to hear from you. Father, we thank you that uh, your will isn't supposed to be a mystery. You're not sitting up there laughing that we can't figure it out. You're not that kind of a God. You want us to know. You love us so much that, that you care for us to be drawn close to you. In fact, you promised that, God. You said, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Thank you that as a church we, we do that constantly. Help us to be challenged to do that more. For the leadership of our church, God, Uh, May they have wisdom. May we all have wisdom to understand what you want from us as we make decisions going ahead. Father, we thank you for this period, this this ascension period, as we think about uh, Christ's ministry on earth, the change he has made in us, uh, and your spirit in us. May we be changed by that. May that be an obvious change that the world can see. Because God, in, in seeing us as different, maybe they'll, they'll be curious about you and what you have done. Thanks for this time today. Thank you for the remembrance of, of your death as we look at communion and remember the Passover and as we look forward to, to changes ahead. May you be honoured in our lives. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.